Today we're in Hebrews 3, and just a quick reminder, uh, the book of Hebrews was written to three groups of people. There was a primary group who were Jewish believers who were struggling. They were all in, but they were struggling. There was a group of unbelievers who intellectually confessed that Jesus was Messiah, but there was no heart change, no life change as a result. So it was merely an intellectual exercise for them. And then there was a group of people that were still wrestling with that. And so the book has warnings to groups two and three. And even I think those warnings can be applied to group one. He's telling groups two and three, you've come close, you've heard the message, and for group two, you've intellectually bought in, you're in danger of drifting away and never being able to be reconciled with the Father if you if you don't buy into that message all the way. And, and so today, he's going into this argument that Jesus is greater than Moses. And what, what, what's really cool about the way he, the writer did this, by the way, I love the fact that he doesn't list the name of the writer throughout the book. We don't know who wrote it. People say it was Paul. People say it was Timothy, maybe Barnabas. Nobody knows but we all know that the Holy Spirit wrote it, and that's all He wanted us to know. And so, He says this statement in verse 3, and I want us to consider this as we go through this study today. It says, consider Jesus. And the word there, consider, means to gaze intently. It means to really look intently at Jesus. And I just want you to think for a second in your life, how do you look at Jesus intently? What does that mean practically? How, how do you look at Jesus? There's only one place you can go to look at Him. And it's the Word of God. It's the only descriptives we have of His life. It's the only ones that really attest to how He interacted with people, both His enemies and the downtrodden. And so as we, as we look at this text, keep that in mind. And I want you to think about somebody in your life. If you were to think about the spiritual pedestal, who, who stands up on that spiritual pedestal in your life that is the most holy person you've ever known? Like you think about this person and you think this person I know walked with God because when I think of, of them, I think of God. I mean, they're the greatest witness I've ever seen to who God is and what it means to follow Him. I think in my own life about a guy named Stephen Olford. Stephen Olford was a Plymouth Brethren pastor who lived in Memphis, Tennessee. Billy Graham would personally fly him to every crusade in the U.S. to pray for him before the crusades. I had a chance to go and be mentored by this guy in Memphis, Tennessee. He's he was in his 80s. And he was just this saintly guy. And he prayed for Lori and I one night after a, a training time up there with him. And I mean, it was, it was one of the most spiritual experiences I ever had just to have him pray over us. Uh, and I think of him. But who do you think of? Do you think of anybody? Some people may think of Billy Graham. Some people may think of other people. For us, when we, we look at the Jewish people and we, 
we, the way they thought about Moses was probably the way I thought about Stephen Ophir even greater. Moses gave them everything as it relates to God in their minds. Moses gave them the law. He gave them their history. I mean, think about it. He gave them the Torah. I mean, everything they had that related to God, that told them about God, how to relate to God, and their history with God came from this guy. So he was way up there. And this writer is so good at what he does. He goes in and he doesn't tear Moses down. He doesn't say this stuff was bad. He talks about how good Moses was, but Jesus was better. And that's the whole theme of the book, that Christ is supreme. And in this six verses, he basically says Christ is supreme to Moses. And he's brilliant the way he does it. He goes in and he basically shows him three ways that Jesus and Moses are compared. Not contrasted, compared. There's a difference. If you contrast, you show the differences. But you compare, you're showing the likenesses, but Jesus is better. And so, the first was they were both apostles and priests. Jesus and Moses were both apostles and priests. And he goes through that and kind of points that out. Here's Moses. Here's Jesus. Jesus is better. The second is they were both faithful. They were both faithful. 22 times in Exodus 35-40, to 40, 22 times it says that Moses was faithful. How'd you like that to be said about you, David? About God? 22 times David Wilbert was faithful. David Wilbert was faithful. He was faithful to all God told him to do. I mean, that, wouldn't that be a great thing to have on your headstone when you're buried? He was faithful to the God of Israel. That's what it says. They were both faithful. Again, Moses was faithful, but Jesus was more faithful. And third, they both had a special relationship with God. Unique. Moses, unlike any other person that walked the face of the earth, save Jesus Christ alone. So they both had a special relationship, but Jesus was more special, and he points that out. So those three areas he brings out. Why is it important to think about this when we consider Jesus? <coughs> think for a second. Who do you fix your eyes on? Is it a man? I think we live in a culture where whether it's Joby Martin at 1122 or John MacArthur out in California or uh, Chuck Swindoll in Texas, Max Lucado out in uh, San Antonio, uh, John Piper up in Minnesota. We have lots of people that hold these men up in high esteem. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you recognize that none of these men have anything apart from Jesus. Anything they give you about God can only come from Jesus. They can't give you any truth apart from the Holy Spirit revealing it to you. They're just instruments. And that's in essence what he brings out in this passage about Moses. But we worship these men and unfortunately we lift them up on these high platforms 
and we set them up to fall because God's glory will go to no man. And, and so I think it's important who we look to. Fix your eyes on Him. No one or anything else. That's what He's talking about in Hebrews 3. So let's read Hebrews 3, 1-6. through 6. And let's, let's come back and kind of look at each one of these. The, the apostle priest of both of them, they were both faithful and they both had a special relationship. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. So let's stop right there. Which audience is he writing to? One, two, or three here? One. Because he says, holy brothers... If he just said brothers, he could have been talking about Jewish people because he's done that, uh, or writers have done that in the New Testament. They'll say brothers, <coughs> meaning Jewish brothers. But here he puts holy set apart in front of it. And he also says what? You who share, that word share might be partook in your translation. It's the same one we get the koinonia from, that fellowship, who share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to Him who appointed Him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. May God bless His Word. As, as we read this, he starts off saying, therefore, therefore what? Anytime therefore is there, you got to go back. What had he just told us in the previous section? He said, Jesus delivered us from death. He delivered us from the power of Satan. He delivered us from slavery so that we could be used to put Him on display out in the world. He delivered us from those things. So and, and He modeled what it looked like for God to be in a human body so that it would encourage us. Now, why is He writing that to the Hebrew people here? Because they're struggling. They're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing being ostracized. And they're slipping back to want to go back to the old rituals. The old rituals are gone. <coughs> why are the old rituals gone? Because the reality of Jesus is here. The old rituals were never meant for anything more than pointing forward to Jesus. And when He came... You don't need to slip back into them because He's here. He's with them. He gives them life. And, and that's what He talked about. And so He says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, He says, consider Jesus. Gaze at Him. Chuck, when's the last time you really gazed at Him? I mean, really gazed at Him. I'm not talking about briefly popping through. I just, Lord, I just want to be with You today. 
I just want to spend some time. I'm not studying to get ready for anything. I'm not reading just to get a checklist. I just want to spend some time with you. I want to know you. My wife was with the lady in Orlando yesterday. 90 years old. And my wife said, uh, can I ask you a question? What would you say to a 55-year-old like me who loves God? And I just, what would you say to somebody like me? Lori just wanted to ask her and get some wisdom from her. And she looked my wife in the eye, Lori said, and she said, love Jesus. Love Jesus. And you know how you love Jesus? You love Him by getting to know Him. And you get Him to know Him by spending time in His Word. That's how you know Him. That's what she said. It's a 90-year-old lady. She started talking to my wife about her grandson who was a doctor. And she was sharing about some of the things he said. Grandma, that's this that's just legalistic. Telling somebody they got to read the Bible to learn about Jesus. Telling somebody they need to be in the Bible all the time. And she was sharing this with Lori. And there's a growing group growing in our country right now within this new reform circle that says it's only about confession. It's only about what you just thinking it, saying it, Believing it. And I'm telling you, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Because Jesus, when He found Peter after Peter had denied Him, He did not tell him, Peter, do you love me? Good Lord, you know I love you. Well then, Peter, just say, you love me, that's all you got to do. He said, go feed my sheep, Peter. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Well, Peter, you just got to believe it in your mind. That's all you got to believe. You just got to rest in that. It's not what he said. He said, go feed my sheep. You will know you are my disciples if you keep my commandments. How do you know him? You spend time in his word. You gaze into him. Jesus, I want to know You. Jesus, help me understand who You are. Help me understand how to be like You. I know I can never earn my way into God's favor. I can't make my life more holy through personal effort. I can only do it through Your strength, but I want to know You. It starts with desire. We have to have desire when we ask Him. Know when He says, ask and you will receive? That's exactly what He's talking about. He's not talking about a BMW in your driveway. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about asking for him to give you the desire to want to know him better. Remember what the guy said when he, he, he had a son, he wanted to be healed, and he, he couldn't heal him? He said, Lord, help my unbelief. That's exactly the kind of prayer Jesus wants us to say, Lord, I struggle. I, I struggle to really gaze into You. Help me to do that. That's what He's saying. Consider Jesus. And then He says the Apostle, the sent one, you know this is the only place in 
uh, I think the whole Bible where Jesus is mentioned as an apostle, a sent one. Now, by the word apostle, apostolos, but it means sent one. You know what that implies? That an apostle is sent by somebody with their power, with their authority to speak for them. And he was an apostle. It's the only time it's mentioned, I think, in the Bible is right here in this passage for him. He was a sent one. Moses was one. He goes on to say, Jesus, the, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, the Father, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Moses was an apostle too. He called him. He, was, he called him and commissioned him to go represent him. Do you know Moses was the divine conduit for God's law to Israel? He was the one that God spoke it to to give to the people and challenged him to go do it. He was the great historian. Without him, we wouldn't even know how we began from a spiritual standpoint. And you know what it says in Numbers 12 about Moses? He was the meekest man on earth prior to Jesus. He was humble. As powerful as he was, he was the meekest man. He was a true apostle of the Most High God, but Jesus was a better apostle. He was a greater apostle. <clears throat> Moses was a priest at times. You know that? He was born a Levite. His mother was a Levite. His father was a Levite. And God preserved him when Pharaoh was trying to destroy all the kids. They put him in a little uh, basket, put it in the Nile River. And guess who happened to just come along and see him? The daughter of Pharaoh. The, the leader of Egypt. It was just coincidence though, right? You see, God was unfolding this plan. He was called... He was close to God. Numbers 12, 6-8 through 8 says that He didn't speak to Moses like He did any other prophet. He spoke to him face to face. And what He's implying there is Moses was an intimate friend with God. He was not like other guys He spoke to in visions. He spoke to him face to face. There was nobody like Moses. The Bible says that. Listen, listen. Uh, in in Numbers, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy. At the end of the Torah, there, Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 through 12. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did. There were none like him. So the people of Israel, they worshipped Moses. They thought Moses was incredible. He gave them the law. You know, we don't fully understand the value that they saw in the law because a lot of times we see the law as bad. I want you to imagine for a second there was no laws in our country. It was like the Wild West. No laws. What would happen? No speed limits. 
No kind of laws related to personal injury. No kind of laws related to what you did to other people, business transactions. Bennett, what would happen in the banking industry with no laws? There'd be a lot of, it'd be bad, wouldn't it? See, without law, there was chaos. And so God gave tracks to run on to bring order to make His people different than every other people in the earth. To show the world what it looked like to operate outside of chaos and inside the will of God. And so they saw that historically as good until they got corrupted. But Moses was this great apostle who brought the law. He was a great priest. Do you remember when Aaron? Aaron was a high priest. Moses was never the high priest. But he had to function one time as a high priest. you know why? Because Aaron fell into sin. He didn't fall into it. He just willingly made an idol. When Moses was gone, the people are having orgies. Moses comes back and and Moses has to intercede for his brother who was the high priest. So Moses functioned as a high priest, but he wasn't the high priest. Aaron was a high priest. But Jesus, it says, was the apostle and high priest. Jesus was the highest priest. We're not going to get a lot into the priesthood of Jesus today because it talks about that later. But let's just talk about his apostleship being sent. In John chapter 3, it says Jesus was sent to save. It says he was sent. There's lots of verses that talk about his apostleship. In John 3, also it says he was sent to speak God's final word. He was sent to speak for God, and his word was the final word. In John 6 57, it says he was sent to give life. In John 1, it says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth was given through Jesus Christ. So he was sent to deliver all these things, to deliver God's final word. He was the greatest apostle. He was the greatest high priest. And the writer's saying to these listeners, fix your eyes on Jesus. I know you love Moses. I know you think Moses was great. Jesus is greater. And he's trying to help them understand that. But he goes into verse 2 and says they were also both faithful. They were both faithful. Moses was faithful in leading and being a part of God's house. God's house is not talking about the temple here. It's talking about the people who were God's people in the Old Testament. Numbers 12.7 says Moses was faithful in all of God's house. That's a direct quote from Numbers 12. And he's writing this saying, and I love the way he does this. You know what? He's not tearing Moses down. He's lifting Moses up saying he was great, but Jesus was greater. You know, we live in a culture right now where if you you want to convince somebody, you tear other people down. He doesn't do that. He lifts Moses up and he says, Moses was great, but Jesus was greater. And I told you, you know, 20 plus times over in Exodus, he says he was faithful. Moses was faithful. But was he faithful in everything? Was he? Was Moses faithful in everything? When Moses killed the Egyptian, was he faithfully executing 
God's plan there or was he doing his plan? Things into his own hands. Yeah. He, yeah. When, when Moses struck the rock out of anger, was he executing God's plan or his plan? And it kept him out of the promised land. So even though Moses was great, what about Jesus? Was Jesus faithful in every way? Every way. He was faithful in every way. Jesus always did the Father's will. In John 6, it says He did the Father's will. Always. John 8 said He always pleased Him. He always pleased Him. He was faithful. He was greater in faithfulness. And here's the thing this, this, this great. He's, he talks about Him here. And He talks about God's house. Moses was a, a manager. He was a, a he was basically he served in God's house. He was part of God's house. But who built God's house? God. And who is Jesus? He's making a statement here of Jesus' deity. Jesus built the house. He said, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much as more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. He's saying there, Jesus is God. That's what he's saying. Jesus was faithful in building the house. He was, they were both faithful. Jesus was greater. Again, he's that same thing. And then the third thing in verse 5, he says they both had a special relationship. You know, he says here in verse 5, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Brad, you know from doing study that typically the word for servant is what? The Greek word is doulos. That's not the word used here. It's a different word. And the word that's used here is only used this place in the New Testament. And you know what it means? It means someone who not serves out of obligation, but someone who serves out of affection. Which implies what? A special relationship. It's a special relationship. Moses had a very special relationship with God. He served out of affection, but he was still what? A servant. He's still a servant. He served out of affection. They, the, the writer here was trying to make sure they understood. This is not... He had a special relationship, yes, but Jesus was more special. Moses was a servant. Jesus was a what? <coughs> a son. Who's greater in a household? The son or the servant? The son. We know that. It's in another passage in the New Testament, right? It talks about that. The son is greater than the servant. And he makes this point here. He said Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. In other words, he was a steward. He was a manager to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. He's saying Moses was faithful to do what pointed forward. Hebrews 8.5 says the law and the sacrifices, those things were a shadow of what was to come. Hebrews 10.1 says the law was a shadow. And here's the thing, Jesus was the reality. So you have 
the, the shadow of it, but then you have the reality over here. And what he's saying is, why would you go back to the shadow when you got the reality? And that's what they were doing. They were getting back into the rituals, thinking, you know what, if I do this, this is going to make it, it it'll, it'll appease people. And he's saying, don't do that. Jesus is the reality. Jesus was God's Son. He fulfilled everything that Moses pointed forward. And, and if you go back to John chapter 5, Jesus said in verse 46 to the Pharisees, He said, and the leaders, the religious leaders, He said, you know what? If you believed in Moses, you'd believe in Me. He says, if you believed Moses, if you really believed Him, you'd believe in Me. Because Moses talked about Me. Remember at the end of Luke, the two guys on the road to Emmaus? And they're walking, they don't even know who He is. They're just sitting there, man, don't you know what's going on? Yeah, I, 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 I do know what's going on. In fact, let me take you back to Moses. And what Moses said, and I'm going to explain to you what's really going on. And that's what he did. He started with Moses. Because Moses looked forward. Everything when he built the tabernacle, when he did all the... Everything Moses did was the law. It was the shadow of what was to come in Jesus. And then he throws this in. He says... And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Now, that if is not conditional saying, it's not, he's, what he's, he's not saying there you can secure your salvation by the way you live your life. That's not what He's saying. What He's saying there, perseverance proves it's not just what you say, it's what you believe. That's what he's saying. When he says, if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope, it's not what we profess, it's what we possess. You can say something, but if it doesn't really impact your life, which groups two, especially he's talking to, then, then it's not real. It's just a confession. That's why in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. We should have no problem with looking inward to say, man, am I really? No, am I? Why do I not want to gaze at him? Why do I not? Why why do I I struggle so bad to want to spend time with God or go into his word? What is it? Examine yourself. Peter in 2 Peter 1 says, confirm your calling and election. Why? He says, for whoever practices these qualities, and what does he list? He lists a laundry list of qualities that should be ours if we are His. If you abide in My Word, you're truly My disciples. The abide means to walk in. 1 John 2.19 says they left us because they were never really part of us. But here's the great news. John 6.39 says Jesus loses nothing that's His. If you're His, you don't become unadopted. If you're His. The question is, are you His or not His? And I want to use an example with you to think about this. 
I could put on a Jacksonville Jaguar uniform. All the gear and everything. I can tell you, I play professional football. I'm an NFL football player. Where's the proof? Is it because I have on a uniform? Is it because I say it? No, the proof is when I play the game. Right. If I never get in and play, I don't play in the NFL. I just say I play in the NFL. And I think that's what he's trying to get at here is that it's not just what you say, what are you doing with your life? If, if he says you hold fast, if you hold on to this hope in Jesus, that's the issue. Many people are going to say, Lord, Lord, I did these things for you. He says, depart for I never knew you. It's not what you profess. It's what you possess. Once He comes in and gives you new birth and you are His, He says in 2 Timothy, even when you are faithless, I will be faithful. He loves His kids. He grows His kids. It's only by His power. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to make it grow except yield to Him when He gives us opportunities. And we do have a choice. We're not robots. And so we can choose to be stagnant in our faith. And I think that's what it talks about in 1 John 1.5. You can sin into death. You can be so disobedient that I think He takes you off the face of the earth. Where you should be concerned is if you're disobedient in a pattern of sin continually, continually, and there's no discipline in your life. That would make me real concerned. Because He disciplines those He loves. And what the writer is saying in all of this, guys, consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him. As you struggle, as you go through hard times, fix your gaze on Jesus. So what does it mean? A.W. Tozier, a man who's not known to mince words, he is... uh, he writes about it this way. He says, you know what? Every man has a contribution to make to your life if you know how to receive it. Certain men will astonish you with their ability to answer your questions and tell you what's in your heart, but, they, but never attach yourself to any man as a parasite. Adopt no man as a guru. Apart from the inspired writers of Scriptures, no man is worthy of such confidence. The sweetest saint can make mistakes. I repeat, never let any man become necessary to you. Christ alone is necessary. Apart from Him, we're completely wretched. Without Him, we cannot live and we dare not die. Our need of Him is real, vital, and will outlast time and go into eternity. That deep and desperate need is met by Christ so completely that when we have Him, we don't need anybody else. We may receive help from our fellow Christians as they do from us, but our need for them is relative and it's fleeting. Let anyone become spiritually indispensable to us and we've deserted the rock and we've built our house on sinking sand. It requires deep consecration, I admit, and a complete detachment from earthly interests 
to reach such a place of independence, he says, and it is only after we become completely dependent upon God that we can walk without leaning on men. It takes a lot of prayer and time thinking to maintain this balance that will permit us to receive help from fellow Christians and at the same time be sweetly independent of them. But we should not despair. It's not beyond the possibilities of grace, he says, not even for a weak Christian such as I. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So is my faith real? When you walk out that door, are you in the game? Are you just talking about it? Am I keeping my eyes on Him? When things start to fall around me, the world comes crashing down. For what do I keep my eyes on Him? That's what He's saying to these people who are struggling. He's saying, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. I know we have different backgrounds in this room from different churches and all this, but can I just really encourage you? Think about your own connection with Jesus. Not religion. Jesus. Jesus. Are you really gazing at Him? What He did for you? What He's called you to do? And are you, are you on board with Him? Because He wants to be on board with you. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. A friend of mine says, you know, it takes a three months to grow a squash and a hundred years to grow a good oak tree. Do you want to be a squash or oak tree? It takes a lot of time. A lot of time pouring in. And I was talking with John Bowers, who's a good friend of mine. He's been in ministry a long time. And we were just talking yesterday. The more we go into this Word, the more we teach it, the more we preach it, the more we realize we don't know it as well as we should. And so my encouragement to you is spend time in the Word. Put a mirror. Let it be the mirror that God uses in your life to grow your heart toward Him. And then when you blow it, instead of being paralyzed, go to Him. Because the more you go to Him when you blow it, it makes you appreciate Him a whole lot more than what He did. Okay, let's pray.